Today I'm here with... Michael Carroll, Irish writer, uh, bald, Irish, said that already, still Irish, yes, still bald, <laughs> and still a writer. Well, that's me. <laughs> that sounds about Thanks right. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, you have worked with Journey Planet six times now? Um, yeah, many, many times. I, I contribute a few bits and pieces in the very early days. A cover or two here and there, but I'm not too sure how many times I've I've actually done anything substantial. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've I've been involved during on and off a bit. I mean, I I've known James Bacon since he was uh, younger, and um, I uh, so basically, if James says, "Will you do something?" There's there's no no to that. You you always have to say yes, and I don't know why. Um, it, it could be. It could be the fact that he's charming. It could be the practice of the devil. It could be any of these things. I know which I'd go for, but um, <laughs> I know no, the devil did a practice of James Bacon. That's the only way that works. But, yeah, uh, very much so. Yeah. Um, no, generally, if James asks you to do something, the answer should be yes, because he will always be an adventure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know him, Chris. You know how, how good he is. Um, there's never anything dull or boring when James is around. It's always exciting and fun and terrifying. But you know, mainly exciting and fun. So uh, yeah, so I think um, I think the first time I went into a journey planet was was uh, it might have been the Doctor Who issue. I did a cover. That's right. Oh, yeah, I did a bunch One of, of my logos. Favorite That's right. I did a bunch of logos based on the um, the different Doctor Who logos. I did them for the the different parts of the magazine editorial and and so forth. And yeah, that was fun. I, I do that sort of thing. I, I can't create art, but I can mimic other people's art. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have the uh, I can't create art, but I can throw things onto paper, and yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to do if you're just throwing it. But uh, yeah. you've done you've done a lot of covers. I think you are the most covers of any single person. Oh, excellent! Oh, what about the married people? <laughs> no, wait, I am married. Yeah, well, in that case, I'll have to do more covers in that case because I I can't have anybody taking my my crown away from me. As soon as I get my crown, he hinted, hinted. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one. I've got one all set up. It's a Burger King crown. It's lovely. You'll love it. It goes Ooh, with your eyes. <laughs> Burger King. Yeah. Oh, not Burger Viscount or anything like that. Oh, King. I like that one. What about Burger Emperor? You never hear anything about them anymore, you know? Well, yeah. they do with a Dune tie-in. You'll get that. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a deep cut. Anyhow. <laughs> but now... now now, professionally, you are one of the greatest writers who ever lived. Uh, well, no, I thank you very much. I, 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 I thoroughly agree. No, disagree. Um, yeah, I know. I, 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 I don't say I'm not a great writer, but um, I do write a lot. And I think in that sense, my output has been great as in the amount of, uh, that it is. Uh, and I've, I've published a couple of million words at this stage. But um, I, I mean, I've, I've never actually sat down and calculated it. But yeah, no, I, I'm not a great writer. But thank you. That's very good of you to say. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I do love having written, but I hate <laughs> writing. So you know. <laughs> yes, we are the exact opposite then. <laughs> ah. Do you enjoy the process? Yeah. I just like typing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. I. I do. I, I actually writing is kind of like. Um, mowing the lawn or um, doing the washing up or something. 
because having to do it is horrible. You know, oh, I've got to write this. But then doing it itself isn't so bad. And when it's done, it feels great. But when it's sitting there and you know you've got a blank page and you think, I've got to write a chapter or, or a story or whatever, I find that very tough. I, I prefer the, um, the initial process of, of preparing the work or preparing the groundwork, if you like, um, designing characters and plots and seeing how everything fits together. Because um, I, I do all, when I write fiction, I, 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 very exclusive about that. I, I, I can, I can't just wing it the way some people can. Uh, I, I envy them. I have to know exactly where I'm going. Otherwise, I get nowhere. Um, and also, if you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you've arrived? I've never understood that. But mm-hmm. with, um, yeah, with, with fiction, yeah, I plot meticulously, and I, that bit I do enjoy. Uh, but I have been known to spend sort of six months plotting a book that takes one month to write. And that's kind of weird. You know, I don't know if I'm that unusual in that regard, but yeah, it's uh, it is a lot of fun plotting a story and I'm watching all the pieces kind of fall into place, like you know, like someone really good playing Tetris, um, mm-hmm. just everything just kind of fits in and there's there's no mysterious gaps or anything like that. That's a lot of fun, I have to say. Yeah, uh, and you. You, I know your work mostly, your non-work for the greatest fanzine of all time, Journey Planet, uh, from uh, <laughs> 2000 AD. Yeah. Which... Yeah, well, that's that's one of those things, Chris, that's like a, um, a, one of those life goals ticked off because I grew up reading 2000 AD. Um, I bought it from the very first issue, which came out when I was almost 11, but a month away from turning 11. And uh, so I was the perfect age for it. Um, this was a few months before Star Wars launched. Um, I mean, it, Superman the movie came out the following year. It was like everything was lining up for me to be a superhero slash science fiction fan. Um, so yeah, so I I, um, I read 2000 from the beginning, I stuck with it all the way through, and uh, and now I I write Judge Dredd and you know Proteus Vex and a few other bits and pieces for the comic. And uh, it's strange. I get young people coming up to me going, "Wow, yeah, my, my dad used to used to uh, read it when he was a kid." And, and I go, wait, wait, how old am I? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's it's every life goes. First, the first time uh, my name appeared in the comic, that was mm. uh, that was a good day. That was um, that was exciting. And then getting to work with some of the artists who I grew up as fans of has been amazing. Um, I, I mean, I worked with Carlos Escarpe at the late Carlos Escarpe. Sadly, a couple of years ago, but he uh, co-created Judge Dredd, and, and I met him a few times. I I wouldn't say we were. We were friends, but um, you know, we, we knew who I was. That's one of those things. Chris, you, you know, Chris, of, of all people, you know lots of famous people. So, you know, they know who you are. And it's quite a, um, a little buzz the first time you realize someone famous talks to you as a friend or as, you know, or as, a, as a person rather than as a fan. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, I think I, I learned from meeting people like Carlos and, and John Magner, who created, um, co-created Judge Red as well, that, that, really the famous people are just people you know and that was quite a, um, a surprise we we're so used to the idea of celebrity that we forget that they weren't always celebrities that they were just people and uh, in the comics industry everybody i've met bar one or two have been amazing and you're very down to earth and always willing to help or to you know to, to throw advice in your direction and i think that's fantastic there's no um there's not much of the feeling of well i can't help this guy because he's He's gonna, you know, take work away from me in the future. So mm-hmm. I, I, I try and help anybody who asks me any advice. I will do my best to uh, to impart what little I've stolen from other people. I will pass on to them. So, 
Smart. Yeah. Very smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love uh, I love when I don't know someone's famous for years and years and then find out that they are. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the most significant one for that happened with uh, Cesar Chavez, who was a friend of my grandpa's. Wow. And when I finally put that together, I was probably 14 or 15. I, yeah. I had to go. I, I talked to my dad like, wait. Uncle Cesar says for child. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh. Well, you, you do get yeah. sometimes it goes the other way around that you 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 find it. I mean, for example, John Higgins, the artist, is is um was one of my heroes growing up, and I got to know him because of science fiction conventions and things like that. We became great friends, and every now and again I sort of suddenly realize, oh my god, this is John Higgins, the artist who's my friend. <laughs> And, and I came to him as one of my closest friends. He's, he's a brilliant guy. He's so talented, so gifted, and so nice. Then I forget that the reason I sort of stalked, uh, got to know him, um, was because I loved his work so much. And so then we're working at the moment on on uh, uh, a related story, and I see his work coming. I go, oh "My God, he's amazing!" Go, of course, he's amazing. That's that's why. But you forget that people you get to know that you know these people are amazingly talented and sometimes you know incredibly yeah. So down to earth. So that's yeah, it's a weird thing, fame. It's very strange. Um, yeah. I had a um, a weird experience back when I was uh, writing kids' novels back in I'm gonna say 15 years ago. Um, I was invited to a school in somewhere in rural Ireland where they wouldn't get many visitors. It was way off the beaten track. But I went out and I was the only marginally famous person that these kids who were all like 12, 11 or 12 years old. They, were, they all thought I was great because I was like. They'd never heard of me before, but they've been told that a very well-known writer is coming to, to see you. And um, I was mobbed in the school. They crowds around me. They all wanted me to sign their school books and their lunch boxes. And I was weird. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is not for me. I don't want to be famous as a personality. I wanted people to know my work. They don't have to know my name. You know what I mean? It's weird. It's a weird sort of thing like that. I'm, I, uh, I, I got like a, a, a tiny fraction of a glimmer of what it must be like to be if someone actually famous like a rock star. I think, no, no, that's not good. Well, I want to be, people like my work, but they don't have to know who I am. That's <laughs> why I write with a lot of pseudonyms. So, you know. Yeah, everyone should have a place like that, though. One place where they can go whenever, you know, man, I feel a little bit invisible. I'm just going to go to that small town in rural Ireland and be a rock star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's. What's weird to think is that those kids will all be grown up and someone will have kids of their own now. That's a scary one, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that is, wow. Someday that'll happen. Oh, you guys, the other thing about Passage of Time is, is that my first novel came out in 1993. So the kids who were their intended age grade, age range, they were, they were 13. It means they were, they're 40 this year, you know? 41 maybe actually, yeah. That's strange. That is strange. I often think I used to work as a uh, as a teacher at uh, day camp, and oh, yeah. I realized that uh, one of the girls who had been at my day camp is now a grandmother, and that made me pause just for a minute. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. I'll go back and deal with my five year olds. <laughs> uh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Now you edited two issues of Journey Planet that were among my favorites, and both of them won a little thing called the European Science Fiction Award. 
on Flan O'Brien. Oh yeah, well Flan O'Brien. Well, to be honest, I, I I really didn't do much on that issue. <laughs> I did the cover and I, I assembled people's words, but you guys did all the work, you know. Actually, <laughs> Jason Porrick did a huge amount of work on that. But um, oh yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, because I I I yeah. I wrote a piece on Flannerbine years and years ago. I mean, a long time ago. I dug out to include in the collection until I realized it was totally inappropriate because my article was all about how I don't know anything about Flannerbine, <laughs> which was it was true at the time. But uh, yeah, that was a good one. But I was I, I was only peripherally involved in that, so I wouldn't take any credit for that. I mean, the um, yeah, I mean, I I was basically piloting the word processor in my cack-handed and very amateur way. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a good issue all the same. Some good stuff in that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I had actually, I did not read my first Flan O'Brien novel until after that issue came out. <laughs> and then I wrote an article for whatever, whenever we do it again on, uh, the progression from Alice in Wonderland to the third policeman to a uh, house of leaves. Okay. That's an interesting line. <laughs> It's like I started writing it kind of as a I'm going to show how postmodern I am. And then I realized, wait, this actually works. And I might be a genius. And oh, my God, I have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember I, I read the, uh, the third policeman when I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s. Uh, I was I was showing a flat um, with, with a guy from work and upstairs there were two two girls who were doing English literature in, in college and uh, we got to know them very well and, and they kept recommending books to me and at the time I grew up sort of reading science fiction books and movie novelizations and I had never really read proper books um, <laughs> so one of them I mean they, they were pushing all sorts of books on me that I just I read and didn't have the mental capacity to uh, comprehend until one of them gave me the third piece and I'm going oh this is good and I realized that the third piece was kind of what was missing in in my in my concept of, of literature that it was it was parochial in the sense that it was Irish but also mm -hmm. it was um was worldly in its approach to um well, to, to attitudes and to ideas and so on it was very um it was it was a huge it was like a whole world full of brilliant new ideas funneled down into language I could understand so mm -hmm. I think that was um key to my education as a writer I think you know it's a great book and yeah. it still gives me shiver certain parts of it where I just get creeped out thinking about it. Yeah, I always find it to be the inverse of James Joyce. Uh, Ooh. Utterly That's approachable, yeah. but it keeps you at, at a length because it has that sort of surrealistic haze to it. Whereas yeah. Joyce doesn't want you to read it, yes. but it's important and you feel like it's important. Yeah, James Joyce is, is, is it is, it's kind of a version of write only language. You can't read the thing, but you can put it on yourself and impress visitors. Um, yeah. With the third policeman and, and uh, the hard life and things like that are, um, yeah, they, they're, 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 they're accessible, mad ideas made accessible, I suppose. But uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it is proper science fiction, well, in its um, approach. And uh, people don't give in that credit. I think there's that danger that we get with science fiction um, is that if it's good, it can't be science fiction. Have you ever encountered this? Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. <laughs> the notion that, well, no, 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 this isn't like science fiction. This is good. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Have you guys <laughs> never read like Hal Clement or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> but um, oh, Hal Clement. I, yeah. Good choice. I, 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 
I was shortlisted for a Hal Clement Award. That sticks in my mind because he's written some of the best books I've ever read. So um, Mission of Gravity is, um, mm-hmm. oh man. If there's one book I could go and write, learn to write, you know. Uh, <laughs> one of my time machine is working. I got to go back and steal all these great books and rewrite them, you know, properly. Um, <laughs> not properly. I'll, re- I'll write them and publish them as, as my version. Like, like a cover version of a music, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, with, with someone like um, Flan O'Brien, there was that there was the thing is that because it's literature, um, it can't possibly be science fiction as if the two are mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. and that's very unfair, especially given that um, science fiction, especially with with certain aspects of it, science fiction books tend to last a lot longer than um. The non-science fiction. If you look at say Gothic literature, um, everybody remembers Frankenstein, Dracula, but no one remembers the Castle of Otranto, or these pioneering uh, Gothic mm-hmm. pieces. Okay. And um, so, the science fiction uh, and and fantasy, of course, I include both. Um, they last because people people like to be entertained, they like to be frightened, and they like to be challenged and you know, enthralled. Um, mm-hmm. People don't want to. Um, nobody reads the worthy ones because they're boring let's be honest (laughs) (laughs) what i find what i find fascinating is that had flan o'brien been a living contemporary of philip k dick Mm. instead of just being published when dick was being published i think it would have been him that made the breakthrough into the mainstream subconscious of literature instead of Dick, at least in the US. Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. Um, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I've read, I would say 80% of Philip K. Dick's books. And mm. I am not a great fan. And I don't disrespect <laughs> to, but I think it, it, Philip K. Dick is the, um, <laughs> there's one, there's, there's a rule that if if um, if science fiction is going to be turned into a movie, it was written by Philip K. Dick. <laughs> right? This is my rule that I invented, but it is true. Um, whereas I've I've read at least three other science fiction writers in my life um, whose books are better. No, when I say at least three, I mean thousands. Um, but for some reason, it's that weird thing. For some reason, only his stuff ever seems to make it to be made into movies, and that, I don't get that. And then they change them completely anyway. Yeah. Why is that? But yeah, it would have been nice Man to of the High Castle. Yeah, but it's very different. The original book different. is very different to the, the TV show. I mean, um, the same basic concept is there, which is good. But he, it mm-hmm. wasn't even original when Philip K. Dick wrote it. Whoops. You know, That's... I'm not going to respect him again. Um, but mm-hmm. obviously, I, I grew up as a, a big fan of Harry Harrison with much more ah. soft science fiction than um, hard science mm-hmm. fiction. Harry would be my primary influence in um, or pretty much everything I've done. Um, he was also he, he was a, a good friend as well. He, he's another example of forgetting that the guy you loved for years then becomes a friend. If you why you love their work, um, Harry was a brilliant writer, but his stuff never gets made into movies. So there's only like two examples of adaptation, three if you count the Builder Acting Hero. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would have loved to. Sorry, I can't think of any adaptation. Did they try to do a transatlantic tunnel huzzah? Uh, oh, that's that's been on the um, on the cards for many years. They they made um, there's a movie of Make Room Make Room called Soil and Green. That's right. And Soil and Green is famous, but it's most famous for a bit that's not actually in the book. Um, <laughs> Soil and Green is people. That's not in the book at all. Um, there was a 
he did a ghost he ghost wrote a novel for Leslie Charteris as the saint Vendetta for the saint that was made into a TV show with Roger Moore playing the part mm-hmm. of the saint and a couple of years ago um, Alex Cox made a he's a he made Repo Man and things like that oh he yeah he did a, a student film version of Build a Galactic Hero oh which um, it was um, ambitious and mm-hmm. they tried to be faithful to the book which is quite uh, impressive because that's not an easy book to do, but um, it it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't perfect an adaptation, but it was an interesting one. So uh, yeah, so these are all the only ones of Harry's that have actually made it to the screen. You know, it's weird, but everything Philip K. Duck, Dick, Philip K. Duck, <laughs> touches turns to turns to gold. But it's you know what's really sad is that he never got to see the finished cut of Blade Runner. Dick, no, yeah. no, I love. I ran into Salman Rushdie at a film festival. And I know oh, he well, says he's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he often it gets pointed out that he seems like a lot of his work is influenced by Dick. And oh, okay. so I asked him, uh, so Salman, friend, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what do you think of Philip K. Dick actually? And he said, I think he is a man who had ideas that were just out of his reach, but he always kept grabbing for them. Oh, well, that's actually a very good way to be. Yeah. And I kind of was like, yeah, that's really smart. Can you pass the hors d'oeuvre tray? Because I'm really looking forward to those canapes. Yeah. I mean, Philip Kendrick is an interesting case. And I love what I love about Flan O'Brien, the more that I'm getting into his stuff, is that here is a writer who just wrote Mm. and wrote and wrote and wrote. And there's actually, I can't remember who pointed to, it must have been Pork, Pork uh, of all the people, uh, a collection of his uh, journalism. Oh, yes. Yeah. The uh, Christian Lawn stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was yeah, so but, good. Yeah. So, so inventive and so incisive. And I just wish he'd been writing today because imagine what he could have done with a blog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because while um, his stuff was very popular, in its own nation, its own land at the time, he would have been a worldwide phenomenon. He would mm-hmm. have been huge. It's a real shame. But yeah. Yeah. Else. I think Flan O'Brien for for his blog and Andy Warhol for a uh, for a probably a YouTube channel would have been the yes. two great great opportunities missed. That <laughs> is genius. Yeah. Anyway, yes. But you know what I've always thought as well? If you could go back in time, right, and give a high-powered graphics computer to Terry Gilliam when he was making the stuff for Monty Python, the animated mm-hmm. stuff, oh, imagine yeah. what he could do. I mean, oh, God. Nice. See, there's <laughs> actually, there's a good, Terry, Terry Gilliam is one of the unsung heroes of modern commentary, I think. Um, mm-hmm. There's an idea for a, uh, oh, wait, I mentioned that before, uh, of a journey planet, Terry Gilliam special. But um, yeah, see, there's an example of, of someone who, does a lot of social commentary, but people don't take it. That's what it is. If you look at mm-hmm. Brazil, as a, I mean, Brazil is a masterpiece of, well, everything is a masterpiece, but that's, it's a great example of a movie that's anti-establishment, dystopian, horror film that's also a comedy and science fiction and just a parody as well. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then it nearly wasn't released. Yeah. They, strange, strange thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah, these people are scared of things like that. It's far too smart, I think, is the real thing. <laughs> is that you can approach time bandits uh-huh. on the surface and have it be a 
somewhat enjoyable experience. Yeah. You cannot skim Brazil. No, no, you're right. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a fascinating movie. Brazil arrived on, um, on VHS in the video store here before I'd even heard of it. And I'm going, what the hell is this? How could I not have known? Because far, apart from the fact that Jonathan Price did it and I love him as an actor, um, how could I not have heard about this? But because it was, it was well, there was no, no um, internet in those days. So you had to get your, your news through magazines. Obviously, it just bypassed me. And mm-hmm. it's the sort of thing that should have been the biggest movie of the year. But yeah, it was a it was at the time a modern day 1984, as in yes. Orwell's 84. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Orwell guy, he was he uh, saw forward. <laughs> he saw forward, but his timeline was a little little short. Yeah, he was, he was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was a little bit off there, but yeah, um, it's funny that I, I um, just talk, was talking about 1984 there earlier with uh, I read it once a year and um, I'm due for a reread now. So I think it's time. But it's uh, that 1984 is one of those books that you go, oh, yeah, this is what fiction should be about. It's brilliant, 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 brilliant work and terrifying, but still brilliant. Yeah, I have a I have one book that I reread every year and it is the instructions for my printer. Uh, that's how often I print things now. Uh, just need to refresh. How do I load this? Uh, that's it. Um, all right. So the final and most important question that I'm final. asking. I haven't even started the first one yet. This is just the intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my battery won't hold out that long. <laughs> so Michael Carroll. Yes. If you had one issue of Journey Planet you wanted to do, what would it be? Oh, ah, ooh, wait. Well, I've already mentioned Terry Gilliam. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know what? I'm going to cheat. As I sent a list to James just a few days ago. No, mm-hmm. well, uh, in the recent past. How about that? Um, I'm not yeah. very good at time. Um, and I suggested a few ideas. But and of course, am I going to be able to find it? No. Salt's Law, when you want to find something, you can't. Um, mm-hmm. But I did say, um, I did have a few ideas. I'm going to, I'm going to steal my list of ideas from me. Oh yeah. Um, okay. I'm gonna say uh, I want to do Laurel and Hardy. Does that um, is that a good sound or a bad sound? That's <laughs> a good sound. <laughs> it combines three of my favorite things. Laurel and Hardy. Wait, that's Nineteen twenties <laughs> and thirties comedy. Yeah. Film history. Gigantic okay. nerd. Yeah, and people whose children are much more interesting than anyone gives them credit for. Oh, well, you're talking about Clint Eastwood again, are you? Remember <laughs> that rumor? Do you remember the rumor that Clint Eastwood was was all, uh, San Laurel's son? I had heard that yeah. once, and I was like, no, that can't be. Largely because I had been following uh, Laurel's kids. Yeah, and they were all geniuses. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's actually one of the Laurel and Hardy shorts, one of the very first ones, in fact, just made it onto our national film registry. And I had never seen it all the way through. It had just been rediscovered. And even for a silent film, those two knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were amazing. Um, they were so, they were, they were very, very ahead of their time. But they, they basically defined modern comedy as I see it. They took comedy out of vaudeville into into the cinema if you like but um i mean they weren't the only ones obviously but people always go to how 
phenomenal than someone like Charlie Chaplin was. And yeah, fine, but Chaplin kind of played the same character in an awful lot of his movies over and over. And Stan and Ollie did do a... No, hang on a minute. They played the same characters every time as well. So, <laughs> no, I, I would always say that um, Stan and Ollie were... They were funny. They were good. They were smart. Um, <laughs> they, they, you could see they obviously loved each other even though they couldn't stand each other at the same time. I mean, that worked really well. Uh, they were brilliant. Um, and in real life, of course, they were best pals. But um, <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to do something, you know, based, uh, based around those guys. Um, yeah. Or maybe other types of comedy from that era. But I think it's a broad field. And it is, you know, mm. you, could, you could narrow it down to, uh, you could do a whole issue based on those two. Oh, yeah, um, easily. Easily. But, you know, that's what's one. But, you know, it's, I'm not in charge. You guys are in charge. You have to decide what's, <laughs> what's viable and what would work. What, would, what do the people want to see? That's the thing. That's true. And we are nothing if not responsive to our audience who listens to us 100% of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're all gorgeous, intelligent, lovely people who know which books to buy. <laughs> you hinted, hintingly. <laughs> yes, excellent. Oh, fantastic, Michael. Thank you so much for chatting. Thank, thank you, thank you very much, Chris. It's, it's wonderful to see you. And um, hopefully we'll get to meet again in, in, the, in the, the meatverse, as they call it, at some point in the uh, near future. When this is all, all the chaos is over. Yeah, well, not all the chaos. We need at least a little. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was good news today. If readers aren't paying attention, we're recording this on the 20th of January. Stuff happened today. <laughs> this was a good day. 